This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Today on Finding Center, the theme is Can You Hear the Music? Hearing the Spirit. In the first half, Elder Dieter F. Uchtdorf shares his address, Can You Hear the Music? Then in the second half, Dr. Jane Lassiter speaks on Lead Me, Guide Me, Walk Beside Me, Life Lessons with the Holy Ghost. My beloved brothers and sisters, my dear friends, Sister Oktov and I are so grateful to be with you today. And we bring you the love and greetings of the First Presidency and the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. You young people are the strength and future of the Church of Jesus Christ all around the earth. You are the Latter-day Saints who will be a blessing to the world. We love and admire you. One year ago, exactly almost to the day, Harriet and I spoke to all the young adults of the Church from the conference center in Salt Lake City regarding your adventure through mortality. We will never forget this wonderful evening with you, and some of you might even remember our messages. Harriet and I are amazed by your goodness, humility, and desire to embrace your membership in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and how you love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ and His children. We are better persons as a result. I hope that you will feel the Holy Spirit ministering, uplifting, and instructing you as we meet together. On January 12, 2007, a man dressed in a jeans and a T-shirt walked into a Washington, D.C. subway station, pulled a violin from its case, and began to play. He put his soul into the performance, sometimes pounding his bow against the strings, sometimes gently caressing them to bring out soft and sorrowful tones. As he played, thousands of commuters passed the train station on their way to work. They had busy days ahead of them, lists of things to do, worries, and troubles. Their minds were occupied with everyday trivial things, like where and what to eat for lunch, how their favorite sports team was doing, whether anyone would notice the new classes they got. But some, undoubtedly, were wrestling with greater problems, a challenging health diagnosis, relationships that were unraveling, financial loss, or some other pressing anxieties. In short, these people were people like you and me, unwrapping the gift of a new day, even like we today, even the gift of a brand new year. But consumed with trivial and tragic, the pity and profound. Did they notice the musician? Or was the man with the violin merely part of the impressionistic blur that shaded the all-too-familiar backdrop of their daily lives? What these commuters did not know was that this musician was not an ordinary violinist. He was playing no ordinary instrument, and he was playing no ordinary music. The man's name was Joshua Bell, one of the most accomplished musicians in the world. The violin he played was handcrafted in 1713 by Antonio Stradivari. Joshua Bell had purchased it a few years earlier for an estimated three and a half million dollars. 
And the music he played was some of the most challenging and beautiful ever composed. Now, this whole experience in the subway station had been set up by a journalist from the Washington Post who was curious to know what would happen if a world-class musician given an ominous, virtuoso performance in the walkways of an ordinary subway station. Would people recognize the sublime music played by a brilliant artist on an unparalleled instrument? Or would they ignore him? Would they throw a coin or two into his open violin case and walk by? Some people at the Washington Post worried that the experiment would cause a traffic control nightmare at the station with hundreds of people crowding to listen. Now here's what happened. Of the nearly 1,100 people who passed by Joshua Bell during his 45-minute performance, only seven people stopped what they were doing to hang around and take in the performance at least for a minute. One person who had passed within four feet of Joshua Bell later could not recall that he had even seen a musician on his way to work. As it turns out, this man had been wearing earbuds, listening to a favorite rock song on his personal playlist. Ironically, the lyrics of the song were about failing to see the beauty right before your eyes. The lesson this story teaches is profound. Not only does it tell us something important about life and living, it reveals important insight into our spiritual lives as well. We sometimes get so caught up in the grind of everyday life that we fail to recognize the sublime voice of the Spirit and disregard the profound and beautiful message our loving Heavenly Father imparts to us through his messengers. This experiment can prompt us to look inside our hearts and ask, can I hear the music of the Spirit? Can we hear the gentle call of our beloved Savior who invites us to come and follow him? Do we hear his voice? Or is life too rushed, too busy, or burdened, too filled with the thousands daily things that demand our attention? My beloved brothers and sisters, my dear friends, I testify that our loving Father in heaven is reaching out to you. The Savior is speaking to you. Come, follow me. In every hour of the day and throughout the night, he communicates through the divine music of the Spirit. Can you hear it? You might ask, how can I recognize the voice of God? How do I distinguish it from the other thoughts and feelings I have? And what can I do to train my ears to hear it? Answering these questions is a quest of a lifetime. And while the process is similar for all, we each individually must travel our own path to find the answers. For some, hearing God's voice seems intuitive and obvious. Some seem to be born with the testimony of the gospel and a sensitivity to spiritual things. For others, belief comes slowly, and the process may feel difficult or frustrating. They spend years or even decades striving to feel the Spirit. They want to have a testimony, 
but they can't honestly say that they do. In my case, I've believed ever since I was a young boy, living in a small branch of the church in Zwickau, East Germany. Our chapel had a beautiful stained glass window depicting the prophet Joseph Smith kneeling in the sacred grove. As I sat in the chapel and gazed at that scene, even as a young boy, I believed. This belief has been a blessing to me throughout my life. But whether the gift of faith comes early or late, all of us must seek and nurture that gift. We all live in a world full of distractions, away from the spiritual and the eternal. This part of the test of mortality is given to us by our Heavenly Father. We are here to learn how to find God, to recognize and follow His voice, even amid the clamor and noise of the world. Each of us is responsible for our own learning. The scriptures are filled with guidance, tools, and counsel, how to recognize the voice of the Spirit. A good place to start is in the revelations of Doctrine and Covenants. There are many revelations and inspirations were given to Joseph Smith and the early saints, and they were all about this very topic, how to recognize the Spirit. As the heavens opened in the latter days, it became clear that God was willing to reveal truth to his children, as he had in days of old. Joseph and his associates naturally had questions about how to receive revelation how to recognize the promptings of the Spirit, and how to know that it is from heaven and not from any other source, just as you and I have these questions today. So in the Doctrine and Covenants, we are taught that we must be studied out in our mind and then asked if it be right. We are told, put your trust in that Spirit which leadeth to do good, we learn that the Spirit shall be given unto you by the prayer of faith, and we're promised, He that receiveth light and continueth in God, keeping the commandments, receiveth more light, and that light groweth brighter and brighter until the perfect day. Now, there is, however, some fine print we need to be aware of. First, this light will come in God's time, not ours. Second, it will come in God's way, a way we might not expect or even want. And third, it comes as we believe. Now, some of you might now say, in order to have greater belief in God, I have to believe. But that's exactly my problem. What if I can't believe? The answer is, then hope and desire to believe. That is enough to start. To desire to believe does not mean to pretend. It means to open your heart to the possibility of spiritual things, to lay aside skepticism and cynicism. If you can simply want to believe, that can start the seed of faith growing within your heart. 
Eventually, that seed will grow until you can begin to believe. Those first glimpses of belief lead to faith, and your faith will grow stronger day by day until it shines bright within you. And then you will truly be able to ask in faith, nothing wavering. This is the kind of faith that has the power to unlock the mysteries of heaven and fill your heart with the wondrous knowledge and sublime testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Please understand that this is not a process of once and done. It is not a process of minutes or hours. It may not be a process of months or even years. It is the process of a lifetime. We are seekers, you and I. We are light gatherers, you and I. We are on this lifelong mission to gather light and bear it to the world, which will lead us through the joys and trials of life. So don't stop ever seeking. Jesus promised that if we seek, we shall find. If we knock, it will be opened. If we listen, we will hear. For the scripture says, For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Hold on to that promise, even if it takes your entire lives to find the precious light and truth you seek. It will be well worth the effort. Of course, in our age of instant answers, it's not easy to be patient. We sometimes get frustrated when our search for truth takes longer than we hoped. Information on a wide variety of subjects is now so easily accessible that waiting seems like an unnecessary nuisance. If sending or receiving a message takes any longer then a second or two, we decide something must be broken. Anyone has a question? No problem. You can get answers, thousands of them, almost instantaneously. If you want to connect with someone, you can do it in seconds, no matter how far away the person may be. Want to watch a video of baby ducks crossing a busy street? You can see that. <laughs> Want a back scratcher in the shape of a moose antler? You can have it on your doorstep within a day or two. Want a wall-mounted, motion-activated, lifelike plastic fish that sings, Don't worry, be happy? You can find it. And if you act now, you may even get free shipping. <laughs> but if you want something of true and lasting value, something of eternal significance, something that connects the now with the eternities, patience and diligence are required. I don't know why the answers to our prayers are delayed at times. Perhaps the Lord wants us to prove to Him or to ourselves just how sincerely we want the truth. 
Maybe the effort here requires is how we learn to value the truth. Maybe that's how we prepare ourselves to receive and accept the truth. Or simply, it's God's way of helping us to learn how to hear the music. But my dear friends, one thing I do know, the process of communication between mortals and heaven is not broken. It is real. It is available to you and me. If we attune our hearts, eyes, and ears to recognizing this spirit, if we strive to walk in the way of light, we will surely find what we seek. We will surely learn how to hear the music. However, we must understand that God is not a vending machine. Just because we put a prayer request into the slot, that does not mean an answer will appear immediately at our feet. No. Communing with the infinite, communing with the divine, takes time. And it takes commitment. Casual prayers do not yield sublime answers. In this life, it is our great opportunity to struggle, to fight, and yes, to fail occasionally. It's our opportunity in our pursuit of the divine. It is all part of the process designed to refine our character and perfect our spirits. When we strive with heart and mind to follow the Savior and incorporate His teachings into our daily lives, every minute, every hour, we receive favor from heaven. The Lord has promised that if we walk uprightly, search diligently, pray always, and be believing, all things shall work together for our good. What a precious promise, my dear friends. King Benjamin urged us to consider the blessed and happy state of those that keep the commandments of God. For behold, they are blessed in all things, both temporal and spiritual, and if they hold out faithful to the end, they are received into heaven, that thereby they may dwell with God in a state of never-ending happiness. So the process of learning to hear the voice of the Spirit not only refines us and allows us to enjoy the wondrous music of the Spirit, but it also blesses us, directs our steps, and brings us the favor and guidance of heaven. I would like to leave one final thought with you today. Some of you may be thinking, the gospel might work fine for other people, but not for me. I have made mistakes, lots of them. Sometimes I make the same mistakes over and over. I try to repent, but it doesn't take. I feel ashamed and guilty. I'm not like others in my family or in my ward. To all who feel defective in some way, may I tell you a secret. We are all defective. You, me, everyone. But you say, I'm a special case. I think I make too many mistakes, too often. Yes, you are mortal. And mortals fall short, time and again. 
Mistakes are events on the timeline of your life, but they don't define your life. They don't define you as a person or as a child of God. However, what you do about your mistakes by using the gifts given to us by Heavenly Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, will go a long way in defining the person you will yet become. You can allow godly sorrow for your sins to lead you to change for the better, help you become the men and women God designed you to become. We call this change repentance. However, dwelling too much on your mistakes leads to shame, which discourages you from striving to improve. True repentance is not about shame. It is about becoming. My dear friends, each day you have a choice to give up or to carry on. Disciples of Christ, followers of Christ, that's who you are. Carry on. They believe. They seek the light. They trust God. They love as He loved. They strive to do as He taught. The scriptures teach, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Even though you may pray imperfectly and make mistakes, God will not find fault with you. He will give generously. Your mistakes have not disqualified you from heaven's reach. If God answered the prayers only of the perfectly obedient, he would have to shut down heaven's entire prayer-answering department. <laughs> God reaches out to us even when we're struggling, when we're failing. In fact, we might say that he reaches out to us especially when we're struggling and failing. Being a disciple or follower of Christ does not mean we live perfectly. It means we stay on the path. We rise when we stumble. We hold on to the light we are given and which we have received. Even when we feel darkness gathering around us, we are imperfect, but we are striving. As disciples of Christ, we're striving to believe, striving to love, striving to trust. We're striving to align our lives with the teachings of Christ. We are in the process of refining our spirits and improving our daily lives. This is one of the great reasons why we wanted so desperately to come to this earth, to this blue planet to learn the lessons of failing and feeling the blessings, peace and refining influence of repentance and the miracle of forgiveness. I'm not suggesting that we shrug off or glory in our sins. That would not be the Lord's way. It would be contrary to the plan of salvation. What I'm saying is 
that our mistakes don't disqualify us from God's grace and forgiveness. They do not block us from repentance or the Savior's purifying atonement. Rather, they are the reason why He, the Savior, our Redeemer, the Messiah, accomplished that atoning sacrifice for you and me. Even when, perhaps especially when, we feel inadequate, weak, or of little worth, we can still hear the sublime heavenly music. We can still learn to hear the voice of the Spirit. By the healing of our imperfections, our Lord and Savior shows His perfect love for us and in an even grander way. The greater our desire for true repentance, the greater we show our gratitude for His atoning sacrifice. I hope you have been listening to the voice of the Spirit today. I hope that the Spirit has impressed upon your heart direction and resolve. And I hope you will do at least five things. First, will you consider the story of the musician in the subway and ask yourself, can I hear the music of the Spirit? Second, will you believe? If you can muster the faith to believe, then desire to believe. God will meet you there, and He will add to the light you already possess until one day you feel His glorious presence within your heart as a beacon of light and a source of divine peace. Third, will you trust God? Will you begin to have a little patience? Spiritual maturity does not come in an instant. Please draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. Fourth, will you remember that as you walk the path of following Jesus, the very process of striving to follow Him will refine and develop you. In addition, this striving will bestow upon you important direction and divine favor and blessings. Fifth, will you keep trying? Don't ever give up. You are going to make mistakes in this life. Please know that the Savior's love for you is greater than any of your mistakes. My beloved brothers and sisters, my dear young friends, I bless you with hope, with belief, with love, with a desire to walk in the redeeming and glorifying light of Jesus Christ. He is real. His love and sacrifice are real far more than the sublime music in that Washington subway station. God's glorious light, love, and power is all around you, always. You need only to seek it. I promise you, God will guide your steps. Jesus Christ will go before you. He will send his angels to surround you and bear you up. He will cause all things 
to work together for your good. My dear friends, open your hearts, minds, and souls to hear the wondrous music of the Spirit, and you will surely rejoice in God's goodness and grace. Of this I testify and leave you my apostolic blessing for this new year and always in the sacred name of our Master, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Our theme today is Can You Hear the Music? Hearing the Spirit. We've just heard from Elder Dieter F. Uchtdorf. After the break, we'll return with Jane Lassiter for Lead Me, Guide Me, Walk Beside Me, Life Lessons with the Holy Ghost. This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Our theme today is Can You Hear the Music? Hearing the Spirit. Next is Jane Lassiter, an assistant professor in the BYU College of Nursing at the time of this address, titled Lead Me, Guide Me, Walk Beside Me, Life Lessons with the Holy Ghost. When I was asked to give this devotional address and choose my own topic, I felt completely overwhelmed. I ran to the office of my dear friend Peggy Anderson, who gave a devotional address last fall, and she assured me the topic would come. That very evening, after I said my prayers, the music and words to the familiar child's hymn, I Am a Child of God, came to my mind. I've always treasured this song for its elegant, inspired simplicity, and I'd always considered the chorus words, lead me, guide me, walk beside me, help me find the way, to be a child's pleading for help from parents and teachers. But that evening I realized these words could also be the feelings of a prayerful heart, asking the Lord to lead, guide, and walk beside through the guidance of the Holy Ghost. The connection between the words of the Chorus and Doctrine and Covenants, section 112, is apparent. Be thou humble, and the Lord thy God shall lead thee by thy hand and give thee answer to thy prayers. I felt truly humbled by this insight and assured that I should talk today on lessons I've learned about following the promptings of the Holy Ghost. What a wonderful thought that we can be guided, taught, and protected by deity in our mortal journeys on earth. Many people would think it sounds like science fiction, that God and His Son love us and watch over us and communicate teachings and warnings directly to us through promptings of the Holy Ghost. That seems so amazing that it's almost beyond imagination, but I testify it is a divine truth. I want to share some of the lessons I've learned about receiving, recognizing, and responding to promptings from the Holy Ghost and suggest some ways we can all better develop these spiritual skills. I grew up in a home with amazing, faithful, and inspired parents. My father worked as the executive vice president of Upland Industries, the real estate arm of Union Pacific Railroad. How appropriate it is that I was the caboose baby, the fifth of five children, arriving some ten years after the sibling closest to me in age. For those of you who don't know, a caboose is traditionally the last car on the train, 
and notably, it's always the cutest part of the train. (laughs) My brothers married before I was old enough to remember their weddings, and my oldest sister married when I was only six years old. I didn't like the idea of my sister getting married and gave my new brother-in-law quite a hard time. However, I learned to accept him, love him, and appreciate his role in my life. In fact, he taught me one of the first lessons I can remember about being led and guided by the Holy Ghost. My late brother-in-law, Patrick Clark, served a mission in Chile in the mid-60s. One of his most memorable mission experiences happened during a two-week period when he and his companion traveled with the mission president and his wife and Elder Spencer W. Kimball and his wife Camilla on a 3,000-mile tour of Chile, holding branch and district conferences as they traveled. They rode in a 61 Chevrolet station wagon with three rows of seats along the Pan American Highway, which was a narrow cement road with no shoulder or painted lines to identify lanes. Many rivers and deep canyons crisscrossed the path of the highway, necessitating bridges to span them. Most of these bridges were very narrow. Late one afternoon, after holding a conference in the most southern branch of the church in Chile, they headed north along the Pan American Highway. Patrick was driving. His companion was in the front passenger seat. The mission president and his wife were seated in the back row, and Elder and Sister Kimball were in the middle row. As they drove along, they approached a narrow bridge which crossed a deep canyon with a river gushing below. Elder Kimball suggested they pull over and stop. Patrick questioned him, saying, Do you want to stop here where there's no shoulder, or do you want to drive a ways and find a better place to stop? Elder Kimball repeated, Stop here. Without further hesitation, Patrick pulled the car over and stopped. Then he realized a semi-truck was approaching the opposite end of the bridge in front of them. As the truck entered the bridge, the front wheel came off, causing the truck to roll over. Patrick and his companion jumped out of their car and assisted the driver out of the wrecked semi-truck. After the truck was removed from the middle of the bridge and things settled down, they continued across the bridge and up the road. As they reflected on what happened, it became obvious if Elder Kimball had not told them to pull over, they would have arrived at the bridge at the same time the semi-truck lost its wheel and rolled. They would have had nowhere to turn and would very likely have been killed in the collision. Patrick asked Elder Kimball how he knew they were in harm's way. Elder Kimball explained that the Holy Ghost had whispered to him, Pull over, pull over. The young elders were so impressed with his inspiration, but also wondered why they had not been warned. After all, they were missionaries living close to the Lord. Elder Kimball explained to them that the Holy Ghost had not overlooked them, but they were not listening. They had not trained themselves to hear the still, small voice. Elder Kimball encouraged them to hone their senses to the promptings of the Holy Ghost. In a minute, we'll talk about some ways to do that. Now, if you'll come with me to another part of the world, 44 years later, when I was in Tonga with another nursing faculty member, Shelley Reed, and eight nursing students, we were there to learn about Tongan culture and how to provide nursing care in culturally mindful ways. 
In these beautiful islands, I learned the importance of acting on promptings when I received them. While we were in Tonga, one of the few inter-island planes crashed, and the other inter-island planes were grounded pending an investigation. This meant any travel between islands had to be by ferry. We'd already traveled by ferry once, from Vavau to Tongatapu, and had planned to make one more inter-island trip to Awa. As the day for this trip grew closer, it became apparent that the planes would still be grounded, and we would need to go by ferry, this time on a much smaller ferry than our first inter-island trip. I began to feel uneasy about the trip. In fact, it became pretty clear to me that I should not go. I did not know why, and the prompting seemed to be for me personally, not the whole group. In addition, I felt a responsibility to be with the group, and staying back would mean I'd be alone in Nukulofa for my birthday. That didn't sound like fun to me. Nevertheless, the promptings persisted. Finally and foolishly, I decided I would go to Awa and be really careful. We completed the two-hour ferry ride to Awa without incident or seasickness, which was a blessing. We visited a small health clinic and toured the island a bit that evening. Consider for a moment how isolated Tonga is. And the island of Awa is isolated in Tonga. It truly feels a million miles from anywhere. And there's no lights along the road. The night darkness is deeper than I've experienced anywhere. We only stayed one night, and I was ready to return to Nukulofa. As you can imagine, I was a bit nervous, feeling I was there against heavenly advice. The ferry left very early in the morning, well before sunrise, and we had to travel to the dock in two groups because there was only one vehicle available to transport us that morning. I offered to go with the first group of students. When we arrived at the dock, the only light around came from inside the ferry. Looking into the ferry, I could see quite a few people had already boarded, and I felt concerned about securing enough seats that none of our group would have to stand for the long ride back to Nukulofa. I thanked the driver, jumped out of the vehicle, and scurried across the dock ahead of the students, hoping to secure seats for our group. Unbeknownst to me, there was no plank to provide a walkway between the dock and the ferry, and my eyes were fixed on the seats inside. As I stepped where I thought a plank would surely be, I felt the dreadful sensation of falling. My arms instinctively reached out, trying to grasp the side of the ferry so I would not fall to the ocean below. I did not succeed in that effort, but I did manage to badly scrape my arms and legs on the side of the ferry. As I hit the water, I knew this was why I'd been warned not to go to Awa. I continued my descent a long way down in the water, even in the watery deep. I immediately began to pray and apologize for my disobedience, while also pleading for help. I struggled mightily in this disorienting watery darkness, but somehow managed to find my way to the narrow passage between the side of the ferry and the wall of the dock. Eventually, I was able to reach the surface of the water. 
illuminated by the light from the ferry, as I looked up, I could see the horrified expressions on my students' faces melting into looks of relief. I was grateful to breathe air again. I thanked my Heavenly Father that I had survived so far. But my troubles were not yet over. I was still in the water, and it was dark in that narrow watery space between the dock wall and the ferry. I couldn't figure out where to go, so I treaded water until I felt like I no longer could. Then I looked up, and a Tongan man had laid down on his stomach on the dock and leaned far over the edge, extending his arm to me. Braced by a large rubber tire attached to the dock wall, I could reach up and just barely grasp his hand. How comforting the grasp of his hand was. Symbolically, how important it is for us to look up when we are in need of help. My students shouted encouragement, but I soon began to lose strength in my arthritic hand. Just then, a young Tongan man was at my side. I don't know how he got in the water. But I remember the overwhelming gratitude I felt for him and his bravery. He did not speak English, but managed to guide me toward the front of the ferry, where the dock surface was closer to the water. There, two large Tongan men reached down, each grasping one of my upreached arms, and quickly pulled me to the safety of the dock. The Tongan women gathered round me to comfort me and tell me more about what I'd just experienced. They told me it was a miracle I'd survived. They explained that the ocean was unusually calm that morning. If there'd been the slightest movement in the ocean, I would have been crushed between the rocking ferry and the dock. My knees went weak as I realized the tender mercies I experienced and felt the love of my Heavenly Father despite my disobedience to the promptings I had been given. Angels, seen and unseen, helped me through the peril I had created by my disobedience and taught me a lesson I hope to never forget. Interestingly, I am left from this experience with a constant gentle reminder that I need to obey the Holy Ghost promptings. You see, when two large Tongan men pull you out of the ocean, you come out in a big hurry. The strain of the pull on my right shoulder wrenched it enough that to this day, nearly four years later, I continue to experience varying amounts of shoulder discomfort. I let this pain serve as a reminder that I not only need to listen to the still small voice, I need to obey so I can have the Holy Ghost lead and guide me through my mortal journey. The lessons I have shared thus far have been about inspiration warning of great peril. Fortunately, such situations are rare, but promptings from the Holy Ghost are not rare. Our Father in Heaven and His Son Jesus Christ care deeply about the details of our lives. If it matters to us, it matters to them. As I share this next story, I hope it brings to mind memories of times when you've been blessed by our Heavenly Father's watchful care and promptings from the Holy Ghost. My parents moved to St. George a few years after they retired. I loved to visit them there and escape the cold and smog of the Wasatch Front. After one visit, my daughter Lara and I left to drive home. 
We just passed the 14-mile marker on I-15 north of St. George when we had a flat tire. I pulled over to the shoulder and quickly reached for my phone to call my dad and ask for his help. He was at the neighbor's, but my mom went over to tell him of our plight. In the meantime, a couple of nice men stopped and began to change our flat tire. They were just finishing when my dad pulled up behind us. He got out of his car and thanked the men for helping me. My dad and I visited briefly and said our goodbyes once more. I got in my car, started it, and tried to pull forward, but could not. Something was wrong. My dad was behind us, so he had not moved. We got out of our cars, and he took a quick look at my tire, went to his trunk, and removed a two-by-four piece of wood and a hammer. Something was hanging underneath my car in the wheel well and onto the tire, preventing it from rotating it. He placed the two before along the top of the tire and hit the other end of the board with his hammer, moving the dangling piece out of the way so the tire could rotate freely. When I looked at him, I noticed he was a bit teary. I thanked him, and he said, There's something you need to know. When I entered the garage to get in the car and come to you, I felt prompted to take a two-by-four and a hammer. Although I wondered why in the world I'd need a two-by-four and a hammer to change a tire, I gathered them and put them in the trunk. They were exactly what I needed to fix your car. Now I was teary, too. A loving, watchful Heavenly Father had communicated to my dad through the Holy Ghost to help me with a need neither my dad nor I knew I had when the prompting was given. My heart filled with gratitude for my Heavenly Father, my wonderful earthly Father, and the Holy Ghost. I felt so loved, so protected, so safe. Our Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Ghost care about the details of our lives. So how do we learn to be better in tune with promptings from the Holy Ghost? It's sometimes difficult to differentiate between a spiritual prompting and our own deep emotional desires. Elder Boyd K. Packer explained, quote, The spiritual part of us and the emotional part of us are so closely linked, it's possible to mistake an emotional impulse for something spiritual." End quote. As we strive to be in tune and act upon the promptings we are given, we will begin to better differentiate a prompting from an emotional impulse. Promptings come in various ways to different people and at different times in our lives. Just as we have various learning styles in college classrooms, we have unique needs for learning about spiritual guidance. So our Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Ghost customize our individual learning experiences with spiritual promptings. For me, promptings often come as sudden thoughts or feelings, like when I suddenly understood the chorus to I am a child of God in what was a new way for me. These sudden impressions are often things I've never thought of before, producing something of an aha moment. 
promptings from the Holy Ghost are always consistent with the gospel and always edify us as we are taught, reminded, warned, or encouraged to provide a service for someone else. Promptings from the Holy Ghost are often described as still and small. Sometimes the noise and chaos of our busy lives is anything but still and quiet. As I was preparing for this devotional, I felt the temptations of Satan to be angry and irritated by minor inconveniences of life, preventing me from being still so I could receive promptings which I felt I needed. As I studied and prayed, I read about Joseph Smith's experience when he was unable to translate one morning because he had argued with Emma. Only after he'd taken time to pray, calm himself, and ask Emma for forgiveness was he able to continue the work of translating. I believe it's similar for us. We need to avoid contention and anger so we can be still and ready for the quiet promptings we yearn for. Since reading about Joseph Smith's experience, I've tried to be less irritable, so contentious feelings are less likely to interrupt my ability to receive and recognize spiritual promptings. Since then, when I feel irritation surging through me, I shake my head and say to myself, Cancel, cancel. To help me remember the high cost of contention, let it go and move on. This might seem like a silly signal, but it helped even on Saturday when I discovered my water heater burst and sprayed water all over my furnace room and flooded part of my basement. We need to find times and places we can be still and quiet to help us sense promptings. For all of us, these times should include at least daily prayer, in which we ask for the guidance and companionship of the Holy Ghost and help in recognizing His promptings. Scripture study helps our minds dwell on spiritual things and provides a medium for revelation as the Holy Ghost verifies the truths of the scriptures and teaches us how they apply to our lives. Additionally, temples are places where we can ponder the things of eternity, pray, and listen intently. In Doctrine and Covenants 96, verse 6, 97, verse 16, the Lord refers to temples when He promises, Yea, and my presence shall be there, for I will come unto it. Temples are ideal places for us to commune with deity. Each Sunday, when we partake of the sacrament, we renew our baptismal covenant to take upon ourselves the name of Christ, always remember Him, and keep His commandments. Remember the promise we're given in return. It's a very significant promise—to have His Spirit to be with us. Imagine the blessing of the constant companionship of a member of the Godhead. As we strive to do our best to keep our baptismal and other covenants and listen for promptings, we will improve our sensitivity to the still, small voice. Finally, remember promptings are often very subtle, coming in ways that might be difficult for us to know we've received inspiration. Most often, promptings come as gentle nudges suggesting a particular course of action. Rarely does the Holy Ghost pester us until we finally submit to His promptings. 
Because inspiration so often comes in these quiet, unobtrusive ways, we should not sit and wait in a state of paralysis for inspiration to direct us. Nephi said, I was led by the Spirit, not knowing beforehand the things that I should do. Nevertheless, I went forth. Nephi did not wait until the way forward was clear and certain. The sacred hymn, Lead Kindly Light, also suggests our need to go and do, as Nephi did. Lead kindly light amid the encircling gloom. Lead thou me on. The night is dark, and I am far from home. Lead thou me on. Keep thou my feet. I do not ask to see the distant scene. One step enough for me. As you leave this devotional today, I hope you will reflect on your own life lessons with the Holy Ghost and ponder ways you might improve your sensitivity to His promptings. Remember, you are a spiritual being having a mortal experience. As you provide the proper context, your spirit can understand the Holy Ghost as He leads, guides, and walks beside you on your mortal journey. Live your life in such a way to invite His presence and help you sense His tender whispers. I bear my testimony that our Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Ghost know and love each one of us, and they are intimately acquainted with the challenges we face. How grateful I am to be one small part of this unique university where we can freely discuss matters of eternal consequence. In closing, I express my gratitude and love to each member of the Godhead and bear testimony of the truthfulness of the gospel. I say these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Join us every weekday for an hour of inspiration and spiritual focus. Today's theme was Can You Hear the Music? Hearing the Spirit with thoughts from Elder Dieter F. Uchtdorf and Jane Lassiter. Find links to the full text, audio, and video of these addresses at byuradio.org slash findingcenter. Finding Center is a production of BYU Broadcasting.